I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. I wanted to talk more about artificial intelligence and music. I recently wrote a big feature for Rolling Stone that tried to dispel some of the hype around AI and music and also get into its real possibilities and dangers. We're going to do a little more of that in this episode. You'll hear my conversation with legendary producer and DJ David Guetta, who is really ahead of the curve on the current AI wave. Then we'll talk to Living Color guitarist Vernon Reed, who has a lot of thoughts and warnings about AI. And with the execs behind Neural DSP, really interesting company that uses neural nets and machine learning to emulate guitar amps. But before that, I wanted to offer an update on something I mentioned in my story, which is the closest thing to a chat GPT style interface for music making that actually exists. It's called Music LM, and it's made by Google. Some consumers have early access to it. I managed to get it myself. And the remarkable thing about Music LM is I'm pretty sure it's gotten better at making music in the last few weeks. Or maybe Google has removed some of the guardrails on it. But basically, you type a few words, and it manifests an audio file of music that attempts to match your description. It's like music criticism in reverse. So here's what I got when I typed indie rock ballad with a mysterious feel. From there, I wrote 70s style jazz rock with a modern twist. As I wrote in my piece, the most unnerving part of Music LM is the ghostly lead vocals that seem to be emerging. And maybe it's my imagination, but they seem to get louder and more clear every week. And now that we thoroughly frightened you, here's my conversation with David Guetta. At the beginning of the year, he jumped ahead of the whole AI craze that was coming by playing a song during one of his big DJ sets that featured an AI-generated Eminem rap. Let's hear a little bit of that, and then my interview with its creator. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. What you did with Eminem predicted what was going to happen for the next couple months. It must be interesting for you to watch what's happened since. Yeah, of course. I've been following this from the beginning, and I I thought it was so interesting. That's why I did this. I didn't want to release a record like this. It was just to open a conversation, and I think I was right to open this conversation. What do you make of, what did you think of specifically the, the Drake Weekend thing and all the conversation about that? A lot of people misunderstood what that was. They thought an AI wrote, wrote that song and produced that song. But in fact, you know, as you know, a human made the track, wrote the song, sang it, and then converted his voice to Drake in the weekends. I, I don't know if this song was uh, released commercially, was it? Was it? They did try to put it on streaming services, so I guess that would count as... Yeah, really- there's a little bit of a loophole right now because there's no law because this is so new. And But this is why when I did the Eminem thing, I did it on a record that was like absolutely obvious that it was not an Eminem record. It was just <laughs> to show technically that it was uh, interesting what was happening, but... To me, I don't see this as a threat. A lot of people are freaking out in the moment. I just see this as another tool for us to make better records, make better demos. And 
If I would want to sell a record to Ariana Grande, Rihanna, I think it's a good, it's a good way to have her singing on it so that she knows exactly how it's going to sound like. But you know, there's something that is that cannot be replaced, and it's taste. Because the more years are passing, the more accessible music production is becoming. You used to have to spend, I don't know how many uh, thousands of dollars to be able to be in a studio, have the instruments, have the musicians coming, and now I do everything with my laptop and nothing else. I don't use any hardware at all. Wow. And this is really like something I believe in deeply. Like I, I really, I really think it's the best way to work today. I think what matters is what I have to say as an artist and what defines an artist is his taste more than anything else, more than his technical abilities. So I think the fact that today you can go on chat GPT and say, write me a verse in the style of Drake doesn't mean that you're going to say stuff that are exciting enough to beat Drake. I don't think so. It's going to be in inspired by Drake, but I've done the experience. A lot of it comes extremely average. Some of it come good. Some of it sucks, but you still have to choose. And the reality of any artist, what makes your career is just making the right choices because we all work with different musicians, different writers, or no one does everything on its own if they say that they're lying. And really what makes great artists what they are is they have a very specific ear. They have a very specific taste. You listen to Kevin Harris, it's Kevin Harris. When you listen to me, you know, it's me. When you listen to Chainsmokers, you know, it's them. And same for Timberland. Uh, for and I think that's just a matter of being able to express our taste. So the way I see it, AI is going to be one more tool to democratize music. But if you have terrible taste, your music is still going to be terrible, even with AI. And you can use the voice of Drake and The Weeknd and uh, Michael and Prince at the same time. If your song sucks, it's still going to be a bad song. That's a great point. That's a great point. When you did the Eminem voice, did you use one of the tools where you just type the lyrics and it comes out rather than a voice conversion? Yes, exactly. Probably UberDuck. Did you use UberDuck? Uber yeah, it was yeah. GPT and UberDuck. And still, it took a little bit of production skills because, of course, it was not sounding perfect at the beginning. I had to do a few edits, etc. But But I thought it was very impressive. Now it's a whole other level, like when you can take a demo singer and make the sound and the, the song sing exactly like a singer we love. That's a completely different level now. And it's funny to see just in three months how advanced it is. And I have a friend that is working on an app right now. We were in the studio together. So he was showing me and he modeled something like 50 different singers. And he's, wow. a, singer, he's a singer himself. So he was like singing songs and having uh, all those different artists interpreting the song. And on the last day we were working, he told me like, oh, but there's a new engine that just came out that is like already 10 times more powerful than the one he was using, which was already 10 times more powerful than the one I was using three months before. <laughs> so I think it's going to be amazing, but I'm really not scared at all. Have you been playing with the voice cloning? Yeah, I did. 
But it's interesting because what I noticed is you still need to sing in the style of the singer. And again, this shows that taste style is really what defines an artist. Because if you look at pop melodies, it's almost always the same. The chords are always <laughs> the same. I'm so happy that Ed Sheeran won um, the, the, on this problem he had on the song and Marvin Gaye, with Marvin Gaye being my favorite artist of all time. But if now people are going to sue you because you use a chord progression that have been used before, then it becomes completely insane because hundreds of songs have the same chord progressions. What I'm saying is that chord progressions are used by so many different people. If you look at pop melody schemes, there, there's a lot of common movements, distance between the notes. So again, it's the way you do it. And I've tried, I was having a song, it's really funny, I was having a song and I was like, oh wow, imagine Drake on this song it would be so incredible, it would be perfect. And I did, I asked my friend, can you give me Drake's voice on this song? And it was not that good. Who was singing who you converted was, into Drake? It was a demo. It was a demo. We wrote the song. So I played the chords and a bass line and some basic, basic drums. My, my friend wrote the song, a famous songwriter. We yeah. wrote that song together. Yes. And it was his voice on the demo. So then I've, I would, I've asked this guy that is, is doing this app right now. I've asked him, like, can you give me uh, Drake's voice on, on, on this? And it was not working because the way it was sounding like Drake, but it was still not a song that Drake would sing. So it was not sounding like Drake because if you, I don't know, if you have Drake singing like a virgin from Madonna, it's not going to feel like Drake. It's again, it's what I'm saying. It's not only a matter of tone. It's not only, but now for sure, it's a little bit strange that people would sell records using the tone of a famous artist. I don't think that's right. I think this is just a very interesting moment of technology, but that people would make money on the top of that doesn't feel right to me. So were you playing with Drake's voice just because you were thinking, hey, what if we sent this to Drake? Exactly. Is that the idea? Yeah. Exactly. And then after I was like, my first reaction was to say, okay, if I make it sound like him and send it to him, it's sold already. But then I realized that no, that's not the right approach because he needs not only his tone, but he, the way he would sing it. And of course, in, in the case of a rapper, it's even different because they like to write their songs themselves. But I'm just saying it's not only because you have a tone that you're going to have a hit. So if you agree that you, it's not right to be putting out commercial songs with deep fa fake famous voices, but you also think that AI is the future for music in some ways. What form of AI do you imagine will be the future, will help make the future of music? Songwriting, this is undeniable because no one is going to replace a genuine emotion, heartfelt, but sometimes you just need to find a rhyme. So again, I see this more as a tool and I've used it already during those songwriting sessions. Sometimes you, you're just missing one sentence and okay, how can I, what can I come with? And you just, it's just a source of inspiration, another one. But the, some of the biggest writers in the world use apps that just give you rhymes. 
They're not going to say it, but I'm telling you. I'm just saying, okay, now we're going to another level. Yeah. But to me, I just see it as a tool. And of course, a C-level songwriter should worry. This for sure. Uh, but, the, but this is lyrics you're talking about now. The next step would be... Music. Exactly. Have you seen anything that's helpful or promising as far as music? Not, not yet, but, I, but for sure it's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. I've seen a few websites. Okay, the problem is music is composition and sounds. Yes. And it's the, com the combination of composition and sounds that make a record great. It's really two activities that are completely different. And sometimes you can hear something that if you ask an AI right now to do a melodic techno, they're gonna, melodic techno is not that complicated when it comes to compli uh, composition, but the, if the sounds suck, then it's not gonna feel like melodic techno. Like some, there was this, I don't remember which one, but there was like this massive Afrobeat crossover hit that, that was huge, but it was, I was laughing because every, everyone thought it was so cool because it was Afrobeat, but the chord progression was one, five, six, four, which is the most common pop music progression ever in history. But because it was Afro, because of the way the guy was singing, because of the type of melodies he was using, because of the drums, because of the sounds, it felt, you could feel it was coming from Africa. But if you would strip down everything and just listen to the composition, you know, the chord progression of Forever Young, which is the same as No Woman, No Cry. If you say that the composition of Forever Young and No Woman, No Cry, no Cry is the same, people would insult you and say, what are you talking about? But it's the reality, the similar chords. This is to say that it's not as easy as that. So this is why it's not there yet. But now it's going to happen for sure. Because musicians, we are the result of what we've learned. We are the result of the music we've listened to since we were kids and the music we love. And we play this music and we add something personal into it. And this is what we call creation. But we don't create from nothing. We say, oh, what about using the chords of this song, but changing the last chord and having a new melody on the top? This is the reality. Okay, some people are going to hate me for saying this, but <laughs> we are only the result. We don't come, wake up and say, oh, I'm going to create something that was never, ever done before. It's like a, and the reality is that we follow musical scales, which proves that it's already a pre-organized musical system. We don't create scales. We follow rules. Okay, you got good inversions. Or you're on a higher level. You mix major and minor. You're on an even higher level. You change a key in the middle of the, the record. Okay, but at the end of the day, we all do what we've learned. The difference is that AI is going to be able to learn everything. So, of course, they, AI is going to win at the end because they're able to say, okay, one day, I hope, you're going to say, okay, I want, I want to make a soul record and AI will have all the soul chord progression in history and with the exact percentage of the ones that have been the most successful and the key that is the most favorable for this chord progression. You cannot fight with this. It's impossible. So again, I think that more and more 
It's going to be about taste and not only technical abilities. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. If they have something that's good in two years and you can type in, give me a beat that's one of your songs or like something you'd make, they type your name. And what if it's really good? <laughs> what, what would you think about that? It won't be any different from any time I made a record that was a little bit like changing the game and that a million different producers and artists have copied me. I've copied other people. It's the same. So one thing that occurred to me is that, especially for a producer, that just means that you have to make something that's not like anything you've made before, which you do anyway. You just move on to the next thing and that way they, and then let them copy that and then move to the next thing. Maybe that's the solution. But this is already the way it is now. It's right. what maybe people don't realize when you've been doing this for a while, you already know that's how it is. Like, there, there's like, when I made a sexy bitch. There was, a, I don't even know how many hundreds of hits that were a simple ripoff of sexy bitch. And the same with I Got a Feeling. Tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good night. That's a nice with so many records and but I'm not I'm not complaining. This is part of the game man. And then after I could not do sixty bitch anymore, I did titanium. And then there was like another hundred hits that came out of that. But I'm not saying I always create. Sometimes I create, sometimes I follow. And the same thing with me. Sometimes they copy me and sometimes they don't. I think no one owns music or chord progressions or it's, it's or style. It's, it's impossible. But all I'm saying is that we need to be a little more humble and accept that AI is just going to do what we do, but better. What AI will never have is taste. So then does it just become selecting the best of what the AI... You're selecting all those chords progression that sound good and you're selecting the ones you like it's the same next up is living colors vernon reed who is a true music intellectual and had some deep thoughts on the promise and peril of ai i've used technology a great deal and i dig the things that it can do but i see something i see things on the horizon that are going to be very that are very troubling and I'm not sure, because it's not just about a single technology. It's about a compendium of technologies, yeah. each of them going in their own directions. 
and at a certain nexus, they're going to link up the mm. way that's I think going to be very. It's going to have a huge impact on how music is produced, how music is consumed. Already, technology has had a tremendous impact throughout the whole run of recorded music. Technology has been at the center of what's sellable, what's not sellable, the choices that musicians, artists make, and the choices that consumers make. And particularly when I think of the streaming services and how low the pay scale is for musicians, for the superstars will always make their money. But for indie artists, mid-range artists, it's a different, it's just a different situation. And I can see a time where generative AI combined with the technology of being able to capture phonemes and model phonemes, the elements that make our voices individual are going to combine and going to be leveraged in a way that's going to, that I, that I don't think anyone is really thinking about the unintended consequences of what that is. I'm sure you've seen already that people are generating new songs and cover songs with famous voices like The Weeknd and Kanye. That's already happening and they're already going viral. So how, what you're, what are you talking about that would be a next level up from that? A next level up from that is, is that the voices become indistinguishable from, from the actual voices of the artists. Sure. Like the first attempts are clever and they're, they're amusing, but at a certain point we have enough material of people speaking voices and they're singing voices. And the thing is, these technologies are not static. They're not staying where they are currently. And most of these things are going to be, maybe they go viral, maybe they don't. But the idea of having Whitney Houston sing again or having Prince sing again and mm. have them sing a song that's completely composed by generative AI, because they're a finite, you could take, say, a songwriter, say Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, and say, you could take a time period. Yeah. The 70s, talking book, fulfilling this first finale, music of my mind, and ask the ask a chat GPT four, write a give me a lyric, write a lyric that Stevie Wonder never wrote. And I want you to focus on the time period of the 1970s. And you could just hit the regenerate, you could just hit the regenerate button until something is wow, that's actually pretty good. Do you see an AI being able to quote unquote play a guitar solo that that can be as interesting and creative as a human guitar player, even though even if no physical guitar ever comes into the play there? And this is where this is where it's tricky because it's not just about playing a lot of super fast notes. It will have to do things that I don't think are currently like like bending a note or doing a vibrato. That's a physical. That's a physical activity, doing a slide, a vibrato. I'm talking about sliding your finger on the fretboard, not even talking about using an actual slide. Yeah. And those are very particular and very personal signature things. But the idea that cannot be modeled, I would like to think it can't be modeled. I would like to think so. Now, there are plenty of bands that don't have amps on stage. What is your concern here? We're creating a situation that we have no idea what the end point is. We mm. have no idea. Like a concern for me is what would stop a music streaming service from creating a completely artificial artist, give that person a name and a biography, and just to see what happens, see if they get likes. 
see if they see if people because you know, people they're just taking music as a utility for them as opposed to getting involved with oh this person is interesting who are they where are they from what's their biography you could create an electronic artist that doesn't actually exist and they don't have to pay anybody they're paying themselves they make a thing and they the idea that we privilege our uniqueness and that can never be challenged. Our uniqueness, our human uniqueness can never be challenged. I think that's a I think that's that is really under threat now. We're not gonna get the toothpaste back in the tube. And, I, and again, I'm not a Luddite, but it, it's something to be aware of. There are ethical things to be aware of. You know, what happens if you could have if you could say, okay, Tupac is back. We got the hologram, but no, we have all original rhymes by Tupac. And probably somebody, the producer's going to say, that's corny, that's whack. Oh, no, that's cool. Do use that one. We're still going to be in the process as editors for now, right? And we choose, we can choose what the, what rhyme does the hologram say? What rhyme does the hologram spit? And put that on a beat that's completely generated, not by a beat maker. And you can present a hologram of Tupac, Larger mm. Life, rhyming brand new tunes. And the thing is, it's not about the part when it's whack. When whackness takes care of itself. It's whack, it didn't work. So that dispenses with it. That's not the problem. The problem is when the rhyme is actually dope. When the rhyme is catchy. Not right. it's the problem isn't it's terrible. That's not the problem. The problem is when you get you want a virtual Michael Jackson to do a tune that's as catchy as wanna be starting something that no human being was involved in. Chuck D just said basically Maybe the way to combat this is to make more human music, to make music. He was looking at this fake Drake, the weekend song, and that basically mm -hmm. the way to combat this in his mind is to make more human and soulful music, to do vocals that aren't so processed and are harder for a machine to imitate, that kind of thing. That was his kind of rejoinder to all this. I don't know what you thought of that. I think anything that motivates a writer, a, cr a person to create, is great. If, if fear of a, a kind of dystopian, thing is in the artist's imagination and that motivates them to write something, then I'm all for it. I don't want it to see it become anti-technology. I don't want that. If the tools spark a human to think about other things different, to express themselves in a different way, to turn something 45 degrees and look at it from another angle, I'm all for it. What I don't trust is the big companies leveraging this technology to eliminate artists. And finally, here's Doug Castro and Francisco Cresp of Neural DSP. As I mentioned, they make very convincing neural net models of guitar amps that a lot of musicians are using even live. They just made a model of Tom Morello's amp setup with his cooperation. So let's hear what Tom sounds like playing that and then jump into that interview. For many years, guitarists were arguably, in some ways, among the most tech-averse musicians. They were very, although they loved their new pedals, a ton of guitarists were deeply tied into what is essentially an ancient technology, tube amps, a technology that goes back to the 40s and 50s, and required these sometimes difficult to obtain and very dodgy pieces of equipment, these actual tubes, which I've dealt with myself. And even before you guys came along, there has been a movement in recent years to emulate amps 
using digital technology better than had ever been done before. But you're taking it to a new level. So I guess tell me a little bit about what you do that's different. Sure. So I think one of the one of the tricky things to know about this is, as you mentioned, musicians can be quite averse to adopting new technologies. One of the trickiest things to balance is actually how much and where to innovate. People really don't seem to want you messing with their instrument. Like I have Gibsons and Fenders mainly. It's kind of like the further you get from the instrument, the more room you have to for to reinvent things and innovate. One of the things that we did very differently was that because our method for modeling amplifiers, which is something that we created from scratch, it's fully automated, allows us to measure. Basically, what we do is we record a bunch of signals through the amplifier and using a robot move the knob. So we capture the interaction and what every knob does and different combinations. And that allows us to model things that the amplifier is doing that we might not even understand. So amplifiers are still not fully understood. There are things going on in a tube amplifier with the power supply, the output transformer. They're not well researched. There's no papers on what an output transformer does to the guitar signal, for example. So with more conventional approaches, you are all the accuracy of the model is always limited to the understanding of the engineer of the system you're trying to model. If you do what we do, which is called a black box model, you really don't need to know what it is. As if it's affecting the signal, another signal somehow, and we can record that, our model will take it into account and will recreate that behavior. So it allows us to yeah, recreate things that we might not be aware of even happening inside the amplifier. And I think that's what makes our accuracy so good at the moment. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about AI in the world and specifically regarding music. And a lot of it is on generative AI, even in the world of music or voice cloning and things like that. You, of course, have been using AI for a while, but it's a different, it's neural nets, correct? It's just, it's using their learning capabilities. Tell me a little bit about how that works. Sure, the neural networks lend themselves really good to modeling amplifiers, actually anything that distorts or is nonlinear, because neural networks are basically comprised of nonlinear elements. It's just the way that the topology, it's, you can actually turn them into a very perfect amplifier simulator, actually. And that is something that we didn't start the company with the idea of using machine learning. It was more like we wanted to do very ambitious things and they required that we do 10 years worth of research in like three years. And the only way to do that was to come up with a completely new paradigm on how to model amplifiers that relied heavily on automation. It was a surprise that it actually ended up also not only being faster, but also more accurate and precise. Just to give you an idea, one of our world-class PhDs using the conventional modeling methods would need around two months to model a single amplifier. Now with the robot, we do a model in like a day and the cost goes from, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars, which is the wages for this really rare individual that understands all this super well, PhD level usually, to like $50 in BS cloud compute fees. We reduce the time and the cost exponentially. But yeah, it was like, we had a very interesting and difficult problem. Neural nets were kind of like the only thing that might have worked. Unlikely for us, it did work. And maybe this goes more to Francisco, but maybe you can talk about specifically what you did to model Tom Morello's setup. Right. Yeah. So every time that we work with an artist or with a brand to do an archetype series or a branded series, we tend to do everything possible to get the original gear in-house because we need to put it in the robot. We cannot base ourselves in a schematic or anything like that. So we need to train the neural network with the real gear. And in this case, it was very special to, to, talk up, to talk to Tom directly about his gear and figure out that he has been using the same amp for he has been recording a lot of very important and iconic records with it and for several different projects that he has had during his lifetime and as well as live performances. They were they agreed to send us the gear, which was really cool because then we got 
our hands into the gear that is the legendary gear, right? So that's the that's the magic about this one because, for example, just to put you in perspective, like we have, I have the exact same amp from the exact exact same year, same batch even JCM eight hundred, and it sounds completely different. So there's we investigate, we know why, but it's funny that the amps can sound so different. So recreating his exact amplifier and his exact pedals and his exact cabinet, it's crucial to get every part of his tone. So now the plugin sounds exactly what he expects it to sound like. So it's not just the amplifier then. You've also tell me how you incorporated the pedals and the other aspect. Yeah, so for example, he uses a lot of vintage pedals that like they're hard to get and we hunt for one we because it's a digital based pedal so if we get a second hand unit from somewhere else it will work exactly the same so it, it was quite a special project it's very few elements but th- those few elements sound so characteristic that if we would have omitted any detail it wouldn't be what it is now yeah and what kind of feedback did you get from tom and what final reaction they loved it right away which was quite impressive like he was they were really pleased him and his engineer were really pleased about the sound that they would they were getting out of it they felt really familiar and we recreated also the look of the amp we took very detailed pictures so what you will see is exactly how his amp and his cabinet looks like which is really cool because we did a very thorough 3d emulation of every single scratch every single knob color everything so it's cool that we have stamped in a digital format his sound and his signature look which is very nice i'm not sure if he's used any amp- emulation in his various recording projects as of yet I don't know if right yeah I, I don't think so like from what i have talked to them during the project they seem to be very simple they like the simplicity of going straight to the amp it needs to be this specific model of amp but it can be any other year it can be any other model they don't mind too much about that they feel familiar with that brand and they crank it up and they're good to go thing so they don't really mind too much so they, I, I don't think they have ever done anything digital before which is of course um, a big step yeah it's, and did you get a sense that he might actually be using this in the studio yeah i think so because they liked it so much that they were able to achieve so quick sounds and produce tracks with it that they actually really liked it i don't think i don't think they will go back to to plug all the gear for demoing or for songwriting for example at least because the rig that we got was in a different continent so sometimes their rig because of touring if he would like to write a a track with the a rig which is the one that we used and the rig is in europe he just can't but now he can have it anywhere he goes so it's probably a very big advantage for him as well one thing i've noticed is that a lot of the demos that people have of your technology they, they tend to lean towards the sort of processed and heavy metal I guess one of the questions, is there a limitation so far in capturing the warmest, most unprocessed sound you can think of, like a an Eric Clapton type, pure tube sound that's very warm and analog? Is there still a barrier to getting that right? Or is it just in your mind that the people who are drawn to this aren't there yet mentally? There's definitely no, no such limitation. And actually, I wonder how much of this is the case, or is it that at least we're biased because we mainly like heavier music. So we gravitate to watch breakdowns of guitars that play heavy stuff. But I'm also really, I've become close with a lot of people in the worship community in the US. And we are very popular in, in sort of that niche of the market, actually. And that's Edge of Breakup, much warmer sounds and they love the quad cortex as well especially the capture so yeah there's nothing inherently in the technology that's better for heavy metal at all and in your mind realistically do you think the physical guitar amp is obsolete or close to it and just a lot of players haven't realized it yet no i don't think so there's always i always say the same that there's something appealing about the plug and play experience that it's 
you just connect your guitar, turn it on, and it sounds. And the real cabinet, the real speaker, blasting your clothes and moving air in the room, there's something really appealing of that. It's less complex. It's like the old times of turning on the radio. <laughs> just you turn on the radio and something sounds. It's. I think that there's something about that won't really die. Is there a 1% gap or something that needs to be closed as far as making it indistinguishable in the best tube amps? Or is it, I realize this is extremely subjective, or is it a much less than that? Do you feel that you're now extremely close? I'm curious how you would gauge that. I think we're extremely close. And I think not just us, but I think Universal Audio and Fractal Audio are also extremely close. And that was one of the instances we had with Francisco when we were doing the Quad Cortex, actually, was that there were already companies that were so close, say 99% there, that there, was not a, there wasn't a 10x room for improvement in, in how close to the real amp our models could sound. There was probably marginal room for improvement, but where there was a huge room for improvement was in intuitiveness and ease of use. Like there, in that realm, we could make the product 10 times better. So we focused a lot on that. But no, I think we've been, what, the 98, 99, I mean, we're finally finding subjective things, so it's yeah. arbitrary. But I think we've been at the 95 plus region for a few years now already. I think that we're always tweaking and improving things a little bit, but it's all very marginal. Like most people would never know the difference. Like Francisco and people with really well-trained ears can, but most people, I think, would be happy already with the best that we and others. Have you actually tried scientific blind tests? We always do it at the office. Every time something gets ready in, in, in the research and development department, it gets tested in a blind test by every volunteer that wants to just play guitar within the company. So employees in the company in the office, everybody can play and tell, guess which one is which. And surprisingly enough, sometimes, like, it, it happens actually more often than not that people would prefer the model for ABC reason for more clarity, for more punch, for more whatever feel that they get on their hands. It has happened a lot of times that people prefer the model, even if they can tell the difference. I like this one. Which one is it? The model, which is sometimes funny. At its core, we talked about this, but what you're doing with the neural net is letting it extrapolate. Basically, you're playing it, you're teaching it what an amplifier sounds like in all these different situations at all these different levels. And then from that, it can build a sort of 360 degree picture as close as possible to every conceivable way it could possibly sound. And tell me what's inaccurate about that description. Not much, actually. It's pretty much that, right? So basically what you do is that you start with a state that has an output that's very far from what it should be. And then that is fed back to the neural net. That's error or loss, it's called. And based on that, there's like sort of new iterations, new parameter adjustments, and you do this process. There's Technically, there's so much to it, but in principle, there's not much more to it, actually. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.